Okay, everyone, quiet down. We're ready to get started with this week's book club. I hope everyone enjoyed this selection as much as I did. I really think it'll be regarded as a new American classic. The wit of Twain, the poetry of Shakespeare, and the relatability of a Lincoln car commercial. Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. I couldn't put it down. What really spoke to me was the main theme of the book, that things just work out for Matthew McConaughey. It's so inspiring and something that I always thought true. Oh, life is just easier for Matthew. And I love the poetic refrain of the title, Every Time Things Go Right. I got drunk with my brother. Green light. I got a role in a movie. Green light. I watched my parents have sex on the kitchen floor. Green light. You know, in a book filled with pearls of wisdom and down-home philosophy, I do think it's important to note that none of them seem to supersede the McConaughey Golden Rule, JKL. Just keep living. From Los Angeles, California, it's High On Film! Tonight, we've got Brendan Gallagher and the Beach Bum. I love lighting shit on fire. I'm a tiger on tonight's episode. I go to bed in Havana thinking about you. Pissing a few moments ago, I looked down at my penis with affection. Knowing it had been inside you twice today makes me feel beautiful. And with that little poem recited twice in today's film, we kick off our 2021 McConaughey celebration here on High on Film, sobering talk about movies. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host for another week, and I am so excited to be discussing today's film. The Beach Bum, from the year of our Lord, 2019, written and directed by Harmony Corrine, featuring our boy and the cause of today's celebration, Matthew McConaughey, as Moondog. I think now I'm ready to also announce that he is our Moondog, our official poet laureate for this year's literary McConaughey. Next week, we'll be tackling a Matthew McConaughey literary adaptation, but today we're putting away the prose because it's all poetry for this episode. Moondog's writings seem to have been heavily influenced by McConaughey's own writings and philosophies, and for more on that, we turn to the man who's right to my left, the podcaster of disaster, the co-host from the couch, and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Happy McConaughey, Chris. Happy McConaughey, Brad. Oh, and what a McConaughey it is. I, I know uh, you and I are very excited about it because we both picked up copies of Matthew McConaughey's autobiography, Green Lights. We did. And boy, what a ride it's already been. Yeah, right? Uh, it's so interesting. And it's it's a bit of a chicken or the egg scenario, right? Did he start writing this during the filming of The Beach Bum? Or was he inspired by The Beach Bum to put down his own thoughts? Because he definitely echoes some of the exact same sentiments in both this movie and his autobiography. They, they're basically companion pieces. I'll start there. Uh, when this, the way it lines up as far as when the book's released and when the movie's released, I have to imagine they were both made around the same time or they intersected somewhere. Uh, and I believe that if nothing else, McConaughey was inspired by Beach Bum to 
put down all his ideas into a book. We'll call it a book. Uh, and really <laughs> just dole out some philosophy for better or worse, mostly worse. Yeah, I, I'm in that camp as well. I the way, especially the way knowing the way Harmony Kareen kind of directs that the character of Moondog probably inspired Matthew McConaughey to start his own writings on the set of Beach Bum. This is all my own uh, hypothesis, by the way. And that led to the creation of him writing an autobiography. That is absolutely my my take on these two pieces of McConaughey uh, art. I think that is the most likely scenario. He was inspired and he was like, I just got to do this myself. You can do this. And now I, I was so into this character that I'm just going to ride the wave and, uh, you know, just keep living, brother. Just keep living. All right, all right, all right. And now let's get to our guest, a writer on Warrior Nun, a high-on-film fi- high veteran, and a man who helped us found this wonderful holiday, returning for his nth time for another Harry, our friend, Brendan Gallagher. Welcome, Brendan. I am so happy to be here during this <laughs> joyous holiday occasion. Uh, and I cannot think of a better film to discuss uh, during these high holy days. Yeah, this is top tier McConaughey for you. Am I am I right? Well, okay, that's a complicated thing. Is it the best Matthew McConaughey movie? No. Is it the most Matthew McConaughey Matthew McConaughey movie? I dare say it's in the conversation. Um, it's interesting. You guys sort of, Chris, you just posited that sort of looking at this through the lens of McConaughey as sort of an auteur figure within this film. And I think <laughs> the way that he and Harmony Corinne came together at this particular moment created something very special. And no, I would not say this is a good movie, but this is a movie I've now seen numerous times and I always enjoy myself when I'm experiencing the film. Yeah, I'm with you. I've now seen this film multiple times, and I think my enjoyment has only grown since the first time I saw it. I did see it when it came out in theaters in 2019, and I want to say 70% of the people in the theater with me walked out before the movie was over. Um, I was not that high on the film at the time, but having dug a little more into Harmony Kareen and what he does and what his movies are, and re-watching this with, with my expectations set properly... I really enjoyed this film. It is a pretty ridiculous romp, uh, if you will. But uh, I think there's some fun things in here, especially I especially like where it sits in Kareen's catalog. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, this is a di- literary digression I've been preparing that I wanted to bring up, which is, bear with me. I read, I've been reading Cormac McCarthy's work, which doesn't seem like anything like Harmony Kareen's, but he has this novel called Sutri, which is just like about a dude who lives on the river in Tennessee, drinks a lot and smokes a lot and fucks a lot and doesn't really have anything going on in his life. And we kind of stumble through the novel and it's sort of a question of like, how long can you keep partying and doing nothing? And like, is that morally wrong to live a life that way? Or is it some sort of um, elevated nirvana that you're sort of reaching towards having no goals? And Carmack McCarthy writing that is really interesting because he's a very driven and prolific writer. And so you see him working through such of like, could this have been me? Could I have done nothing? But what I get from Beach Bum, the vibe I'm getting is after Spring Breakers, maybe Corinne sort of took on some of that lifestyle. And certainly McConaughey has took on some of that lifestyle. 
So it's sort of like an aimless movie made by aimless people that's not trying to say anything in particular. And it made me think about how like move like a book like Sotri or a movie like The Big Lebowski with like the prolific and very type A Coen brothers, there's something to be said about like, is being a holy fool a good life? And what I love about Beach Bum is it doesn't want to interrogate any of that because everyone involved, including Jimmy Buffett, Snoop Dogg, everybody is a holy fool and has decided this is the way to live life. So there's no dramatic tension. It's basically <laughs> like, isn't it awesome to smoke weed and fuck all the time if you have the means to do so? Look how cool this guy who would do that is. And we're all this guy. We're all very cool. Probably what my problem with the movie is. You probably nailed it as far as what it's too aimless for me. Well, before we go any further, if you haven't seen Beach Bum, or maybe it's been a year or two since you last uh, visited the film, Brad and I have prepared a quick little trailer to give you the gist of what it is. Here it is. Players and players, today we have this man coming for this woman. In a world of hedonistic pleasures, a poet will work to finish a book of poetry. Ah, give me all my homes down here in the Keys with all the burnouts, sweetie. I'm a bottom feeder. I gotta go low to get high. You know that. Forced back to civil society for his daughter's wedding, Moondog will be confronted by his own inactivity. When's it gonna end? You're gonna keep coming back and ask me for more and more and more. It's sad, Moondog. You used to be a motherfucking big TF for me, boy. But after his wife dies, he'll have to give up a life of partying and start leading a life of writing while partying. They don't still ask me. No. It's too bad. This place used to. He'll follow wherever the party takes him, making friends with whoever is keeping the good times rolling. If you see some hopping, don't look away. It's cool looking. After a run-in with the law, He'll be back to where he started, only with more money. What do you think about that, huh? Cash in a boat. We do whatever we want or nothing at all. <laughs> Let's bow holler this motherfucker, you know what I mean? Raise the dead. Woo! And in the end, he'll learn nothing, yet totally succeed. Neon Films presents a movie that had audiences walking out of theaters midway through. Four deaths in over eight straight years of Dolphin Tour is a terrific record. Snoop Dogg, Isla Fisher, Zac Efron, Martin Lawrence, and Matthew McConaughey. You guys ever watch Magnum P.I.? It's based on my life. You gotta go low to get high. You just kind of have to accept that he's from another dimension. Harmony Kareens, The Beach Bum. It's been real, moon dog. Uh, it's been more than that. It's been black. And now it's time for Trash. Star. Destroy. That's right, it's Trash Star Destroy, the first game in our podcast. We're going to take three movies of a similar ilk and ask you to make the hard decisions. One movie you'll have to trash, which means it's eliminated from existence. One movie you get to star in, in whatever role you'd like to take for your fragile actor ego heart. And the third role, then, 
third world through mm, third movie then must be destroyed which means that the only version that has ever existed has been both written and directed by mr michael bay of the rock fame so we were getting into a little bit of harmony kareen's body of work so let's do three movies with harmony kareen scripts we'll do his very first script written at 18 years old kids larry clark's larry clark's kids from 1995 We'll do the aforementioned Spring Breakers from 2012 and the movie we just watched, 2019's The Beach Bum. Kids, Spring Breakers, Beach Bum, Trash Star Destroy. I am going to star in Spring Breakers. I just watched that for the first time recently, uh, right after I watched Beach Bum, and I thought it was pretty damn great. I think it actually does all the things I think Kareem does all the things correctly in that movie that I wanted from Beach Bum. Uh, and I, I think that's why I l- like Beach Bum maybe even a little less. Um, because I'm like, oh, you can do this. I've, se- I, I've seen the way you do this where it feels like you actually planned out a movie, made, had some great <laughs> shots, great colors, where Beach Bum just feels like he was like, picked up a camera and I'm going to fall around Matthew McConaughey. Um, so I'm going to star in Spring Breakers. God, what role am I taking? I, I mean, I the Franco role is obviously a temptation. Alien. And I, and I think I have to do it literally for the Britney Spears song slash montage alone just to be part of that scene because it is hilarious. Truly one of the funniest scenes I've seen in a long time. So I, I'm taking the Franco role as ridiculous as I would be in that role. I'm going to give Beach Bum to Michael Bay because it's too tempting not to. I'm fascinated to see what he would do with a movie like that. Uh, And then I'm trashing Kids. Oh, wow. Okay. Kids was a huge movie. I mean, back in the day, I remember hearing about it before I ever saw it because of its depictions of violence and AIDS and sex with actual, like, children in the cast. It's a... Yeah, I, I remember seeing it, a pretty seminal movie. Um, sorry, it's uh, in the trash there. Yeah, I, I mean, it, that feels a little iffy anyway. And truthfully, we shouldn't have Michael Bay doing anything that involves, like, sex and kids. Like, that's already a problem for him. Like, he's not good with that kind of stuff already, so that just pushes him to another level of bad. I'm really debating on being with you 100% on this category, I'm going to star in Kids. I'm going to be in this movie. I'm going to launch my acting career early. You know, I'll, I'll be the main kid who thinks it's, he could avoid AIDS by having sex with only virgins. Uh, I can't remember the kid, the main kid's name in it, but I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that role. And then I think I have to continue in your path, Brad, because I, I really do like Spring Breakers. I think it's a really good film, but I think I'd rather have a McConaughey pairing with Michael Bay and let him do Beach Bum with Jimmy Buffett and Snoop and Matthew McConaughey and Martin Lawrence and Zac Efron and this wonderful cast, Isla Fisher, uh, and then trashed Spring Breakers, much to my dismay, actually. we Yeah, there's been no McConaughey-Michael Bay collaboration, right? No, I don't think so. Oh, man. I can't believe we haven't got that. That's that's dream. That's dream scenario for us right now, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's... It seems like he's skewing more muscular these days. I don't know if we're ever going to get it, right? I mean, he's only going Wahlberg, The Rock, John Cena. I mean, are we going to – is we're going to step back and get Matthew McConaughey as 
what, like an old grizzled cop? Like, are we going to retread some true detective territory? But Conahey will hit the weight room if need be. I feel like he's just more of a Nolan guy. He's got an Oscar. I mean, you don't see a lot of Oscar winners going back for Michael Bay films. That's true. That's hard to, I think that's hard to argue. If the people cry out hard enough, it will happen. You think so? Get one of those change.org petitions going. Yeah, those are legally binding. Um, so guys, you know, I got to be honest, I've got a different trajectory uh, on this than you guys do. And I think, you know, there's some room for debate here. I am going to star in the beach bum because I need to commune with Moondog as a personal journey. I don't know that audiences would enjoy it, but I think it's more about me reaching enlightenment. So I'm going to star in that. Um, I'm going to give Michael Bay Spring Breakers um, I think that the action elements were very well executed by har- harmony standards, yeah. uh, but I would love to see that last sequence directed by Michael Bay would be really rewarding. Uh, and I think he could have, you know, for example, the, that awesome sequence where they robbed the diner could be a little crazier. You know, I think he would dig his, dig his, uh, his mitts into it a bit if he had the opportunity. And I want to <laughs> echo what Brad said. I was just blown away um, by Spring Breakers because I really do not like the rest of uh, Harmony Curran's oeuvre. Uh, I, and this brings me to kids. I was not impressed by kids when I saw it back in college. And not that it's a bad movie, but I think it spawned a lot of bad imitators and in, in the future's like subsequent decades. So I'm getting rid of kids, not because kids is terrible, but because of the many terrible indie films and like aesthetic mumblecore gratuitous sex stuff that came after because i think it's just been mostly bad uh even though kids i remember being fine just not nearly as good as spring breakers which it's amazing to me how much better spring breakers is than the rest of his stuff well spring spring breakers is so much more satirical and kids was supposed to be like uh, almost an expose right like kids was like, hey, wake up. Here's what your kids, your young kids are doing on the streets of New York. And Spring Breakers is still kind of like, wake up. Here's what your kids are doing. But it's done with a much more tongue in cheek attitude. Kids felt to me like the movie version of like when you would turn on Oprah and they'd be like, uh, they're doing the kids are doing rainbow parties and you need to know like what they're <laughs> up to. Yeah. Whereas like Spring Breakers is such a rich satirical like you know, what is spring break and is it a rite of passage? And like, we tell young people they can go crazy and do whatever they want, but you know, you step too far and you ruin your fucking life. And like, yeah, not everyone's going to go murder people, but I remember like kids would go to spring break or to senior week, you know, when we were in high school and then a kid would get an underage DUI and then they would be in jail. And it's like, wait, you told me to go crazy. And you said, I'm immortal. I can do whatever I want. It's like, well, yeah, but you couldn't do that. <laughs> uh, all right, let's do one more trash start story category. This is McConuary after all. So let's do a McConuary category. And we'll specifically look at the prolific year of 2019, which Matthew McConaughey made four movies in 2019. The Beach Bum, which we, we've already discussed, uh, will not be one of those movies. We'll do the other three. We will do his... Big flop, Serenity, with Anne Hathaway and uh, Jason Clark. We'll do the Zach Galifianakis Between Two Ferns, the movie, which Matthew McConaughey plays himself. And, of course, the big hit of Matthew McConaughey's 2019, Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman. Serenity, Between Two Ferns, the movie, and The Gentleman. Trash, star, destroy. 
Now, the three of us had the pleasure of seeing The Gentleman together. And that movie is terrible. Like, I didn't, I, I admittedly did not like Beach Bum, but man, The Gentleman is a few steps down from Beach Bum for sure. Uh, I look forward to doing it someday because I would love to try to come up with the best scene. But I guess what I would do is star in between two ferns. To me, that's pretty much a no brainer here. Um, and as much as I respect him, I'm going to take Galifianakis' role. Like You just get to wow. roll through that movie and just hang with a bunch of celebrities and have all the cool interviews and everything like that's all respect to Galifianakis. But to me, that's a total no brainer. I am going to give the gentleman to Michael Bay because it almost already feels like it was directed by Michael Bay. And I, I don't know serenity. I haven't seen serenity. It seems so boring that it just, I'm fine trashing that movie, but to me, the gentleman fits so perfectly into Bay's hands, and truthfully, he could probably make a better movie out of that material, I, almost because I can't imagine a worse movie given that material. So I, I, that's pretty easy for me, actually. Okay. Brendan? Yeah, I had to look up Serenity as well. Just for those out there, this sounds like the most boring shit ever. Baker Dill is a fishing boat captain who leads tours off a tranquil tranquil enclave of Plymouth Island. His peaceful life is shattered when his ex-wife tracks him down and asks him to save her from her new abusive husband. That sounds like the most boring shit. Like, that's like a C-plot on the show Bloodline or something. Brendan, the movie, I, I think I'm the only person here who's seen Serenity. And let me tell you, you have nailed it on the head. There are so many wackier parts. There's a whole plot line where McConaughey's son is designing a video game that McConaughey is actually in. And it and it, almost, and it has some noir. Yep, yep, hold on, hold on. And it has some noir elements to it. And it's terrible. And it couldn't be more boring. It like it's not terrible fun and like oh let's have a lark and and watch this bad movie. It is drill your brains out boring. So well, yeah, you, I think you're doing the right thing here, Michael Bay. I hope you're up to the challenge. Uh, you can have a go at it. Um, I'm gonna get rid of the gentleman just because you know in my head, Snatch and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels were good movies. Like I remember liking them as a high schooler and watching the gentleman like soured my good memories of those things. So I wish the gentleman could just be memory hold and had never existed. And like Guy Ritchie's directing career ended in 2004 or whatever. And we can just be like, Oh, remember those fun Cockney gangster movies we kind of liked in high school. So you can do that. And then I will also star in between two ferns. Uh, I'd like to not, I've never seen the movie. I'm imagining maybe there's another part besides Galifianakis. Maybe I can work with him. He has a couple of assistants in the film. Yeah, yeah. I'll be, I'll be the assistant. It's like Lauren Lapkus and Ryan Gall. Yeah, I'll take Lauren Lapkus's part. Uh, you know, I love Zach Galifianakis. Uh, I think Baskets is like a really underappreciated masterpiece, and I would just love to have the opportunity to like sit at the feet of the master and hear what he was thinking it, during his career because I think he's made few people do something like The Hangover and then go on to make just interesting choices and not do dumb bullshit. Even some great actors just get caught up in that moment in their career 
And he just always seemed to stay grounded and like pointed towards the North star of whatever he wanted to do. And I would just love to like do the Terry gross fresh air interview on set between scenes. Yeah, Brendan, I'm with you. Uh, I'm going to star in between two ferns. If you're going to take Lauren Lapkus's part, I'll take Ryan Gall's part. I'll be the other assistant. We'll have a great time on set. And I'll be Galifianakis. It'll just be the three of us hanging oh. around. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> Brad, Chris, and Brendan's between two ferns. Can't believe they completely recast for the movie. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to trash the gentleman. I did not like it, despite it being a little more entertaining than Serenity. But yeah, I'm giving it, giving Serenity to Michael Bay in hopes that he can really jazz this film up. There's too many good elements that could be just need that injection of action or fun. And it could really be maybe not a good movie, but at least a very entertaining bad movie. So I, I think that's what that word. That's what I'm doing here. That's Trash Star Destroy for another week. Congratulations, guys. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, quite welcome. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more high-end film, more Brendan Gallagher, and more The Beach Bum on this McConuary after this. Do you ever wish Harmony Kareen took some really big swings? Then watch him swing for the fences with Mr. Lonely. Diego Luna is a Michael Jackson impersonator invited to a serious cosplay commune by Samantha Morton's Marilyn Monroe. Skydiving nuns, the Three Stooges meet Abe Lincoln, and Werner Herzog all come together in a quirky exploration of identity. As a bonus, an early draft of Captain Wax musings about dolphins can be heard here from the mouth of Shirley Temple. 2007's Mr. Lonely, a film by Harmony Kareen. Hi on film, we're back celebrating McConaughey with the one and only Brendan Gallagher talking The Beach Bum. Harmony Kareen's The Beach Bum. And we're about to break it down for you in a segment we call Scene Work. We're going to rank our top three and bottom three scenes from this film. Of course, we're an optimistic podcast if you haven't figured that out already. So we're starting things off optimistically with... Best Scene. What are our top three best scenes in The Beach Bum? We'll start at number three. Brad? Number three for me is it's it's at the wedding, which is like a kind of a big part near the beginning of this movie. McCona- Matthew McConaughey and Isla Fisher's daughter are getting married. And I believe this is the wedding, but there's a it's it's one part. A lot of this movie is kind of montages, almost like uh, silent films in a way, which is kind of the best parts of this movie for me. I, I feel like if they leaned more that way and had more of that, it would have been better. But uh, but it's one scene. It's McConaughey in the pool. Uh, he's smoking a joint and I believe listening to Margaritaville. And it's kind of like you're, the camera's kind of going up uh, uh, below the water and above the water. And he's just kind of peeking his head out just to keep the joint from going underwater. And then his daughter comes poolside and he gets out. And they just have this very lovely dance. And it's it's almost like the father-daughter dance at your what would be a typical wedding. And I just thought it was a kind of a beautiful moment. Not again, no words being said other than the song. He just climbs out and just starts dancing with his daughter on the side of the pool. And they kind of have a uh, c- contentious relationship, but it's kind of the moment early on where she allows him in and they just kind of have this beautiful father-daughter moment. I, I thought it was very sweet and I thought it worked very well and it, it was shot well and it was, you know, 
good a good song. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that scene. Excellent. I like you. I like that you picked that. There's a lot of those quieter moments that are like Kareem just lets his camera kind of wander and, and pick up these quieter moments to uh, usually pretty great songs. None of them made my list. I chose all more energetic scenes, but I'm glad you you pointed them out on yours. Brendan, what's number number three? So just to let you guys know, full disclosure, I wrote down seven top scenes, and this is just the top three you're going to get. So know that there was more. It was very tough for me to narrow them down. Number four uh, was actually Brad's number three, uh, where I wrote down father-daughter dance next to the infinity pool to Margaritaville, which is just (laughs) a funny sentence. Uh, But my number three is uh, there's this scene towards the beginning when Moondog like meets up with his wife and just starts eating her out in front of like the pool boy and her friends. And it's just apropos of nothing really makes no sense, but both of them really sell it. And it just cracked me up because it just completely unbelievable, uh, gratuitous and really set the tone for the movie. Yeah, it's it's a cuddlingest montage almost. Like he's he's going down on her in front of the woman who's giving her a pedicure in front of their like deliveries coming into the house. There's the montage of it, and then there's a point where like she's on the phone and he's she's just like standing up and he's going down on her while she's on the phone as well. Like all of that. Maybe now in retrospect, having seen like once I had seen the whole movie, I can look back and like, okay, it's zany and weird. And just like, that's kind of what it is. But I definitely written all that down as worst scenes right off the bat. So I was like, what the hell are we doing here? And now kind of knowing the movie more and kind of knowing the Kareen's, the way he makes movies, that's just kind of his like, Hey, this is funny. This is comedy, which whether I agree or disagree with, I get what he's trying to do at least. Well, my number three is uh, the introduction of Zac Efron. He plays Flicker in this movie. He is introduced to us as a pastor's son who is put in rehab. He has it's, it's tiger-striped beard with a Bluetooth headset that only accentuates the lines in his beard. And he just says a lot of crazy things. He really riles Moondog up. They break out of the rehab together. And one of my favorite things in the movie is they're in a cheap hotel room together and just rocking out and the music's blaring. And he says, oh, man, this Christian metal really bangs or something. And it's Creed. It's Creed. Can you take me higher? And I laughed my ass off at that. I thought it was so funny and just a great little example of how good and the the real positive energy and chaotic energy Zac Efron brings to this movie. I, I found such a delight. To add to that, um, he's also wearing Jinko jeans. He's wearing <laughs> yes, he what looks to be like a true religion or like seven plus whatever that brand is, like studded shirt or Ed Hardy kind of shirt. Um, he makes references to being an amateur musician and in bands but or maybe a DJ, but he's just never totally clear about like what his musical past is. It's just such a fucking funny bit yeah vaping like a maniac and yeah it's it's a really funny scene i i literally laughed at the song choice and now i kind of mentioned the britney spears scene in spring breakers i have a much more appreciation for that song choice because when i was watching beach mom i was like you chose creed it must be a com a comedic choice and then seeing that i was like oh yeah it was a comedic choice so good choice all right number two what's what's number two guys for me, number two is Martin Lawrence. Uh, his 
couple scenes in this movie. Um, I love Martin Lawrence. Captain Wack. Yeah, I, I love me some Martin Lawrence. He was the best part of Bad Boys for Life from this year. He was hilarious in it. And he is really funny in this movie. The whole, the whole premise that he does dolphin tours is so funny. <laughs> and when he jumps into the water, I mean, it's, it's kind of an easy gag, but like he jumps into the water, like I'm going to go swimming with the dolphins and it ends up being sharks and they bite his foot off. And I was like, he's literally in maybe two to three scenes. It's all like right, right in a row. Like you just are like Matthew McConaughey meets up with, Martin Lawrence and they just kind of hang out for like two to three scenes right in a row. And it was probably the most enjoyable part of this whole movie for me. He is funny. They have a good camaraderie and I, I like Martin Lawrence. It was, it was delightful. Yeah. I can't say enough about that scene and I will say more about it later, but number two for me is actually the storming of the mansion by Moondog <laughs> and his homeless cohorts. Uh, he's at a low. Uh, Isla Fisher has died in a drunk driving accident. And he's kind of spiraling because now he has to finish his novel. So he's going around uh, drinking kind of. I, I don't think he's fully writing yet at this point, uh, but he's definitely in a spiral. And he befriends. He's living. He lives with uh, sequential people for a few days like. Captain Wack, like Zac Efron, uh, he gets to a point where he's living on the street with a bunch of homeless people. They're drinking and he gets the idea to storm his mansion that he used to live in that he can't reclaim until he finishes his book. And he brings a parade of homeless people into the nice neighborhood, enters the gate and they all jump in the pool. I think it's some of the best photography uh, of the movie. Uh, it's certainly some of the most interesting photography because they tear apart everything they're in the living room. They tear apart feather pillows. Feathers go everywhere. And there's a shot of Moondog relaxing in a chair with a cocktail. Feathers just falling around him. I mean, it looks like a music video. It's it's so good. It's in slow motion. It's awesome. Smashing shit. Yeah, smashing all kinds of shit. It's, it's just really fun. And it's a nice little uh, culture clash in, in the movie. I, I really liked it. That scene really is a beautiful shot. Yeah, and it's a scene that actually reminds me of, not to keep going back to Spring Breakers, but I was like, oh, yeah, you do this really well. Like you, I mean, it, it's not a surprise he directed a lot of music videos, but he 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 does that kind of thing really well. Uh, a montage of just chaos. Yeah, I agree. Um, my number two is a bit calmer, and it's sort of like a tongue-in-cheek number two because... Um, I always think it's really funny in movies when someone's supposed to be good at something and they, the writers clearly couldn't make the thing that good. And <laughs> there's, this, there's this like shot on like camcorder McConaughey's Moondog is reading like his great early collection of poems when like he still had it. And McConaughey is so self-serious and self-satisfied is like kind of like your hot professor who you'd give a tamale in like fiction class and all like the girl grad students are trying to fuck, you know? And like, he even stops in the middle and says like, mm, that's a good poem at one point. <laughs> and that whole thing just fucking cracked me up. Like he had like glasses with croquis and there were like admiring undergrads sitting there like fawning over him. And the poem from, I believe the collection is Marquis collection is called Key Zest. 
uh, pun on Key West. And uh, that whole <laughs> sequence just made me laugh. And I know some of it was intentional and some of it was not. Uh, but I just enjoyed the shit out of McConaughey being McConaughey in that section. All right, guys. Well, we're down to it. What's the best scene, number one scene in the beach bum? Brad? For me, uh, for me, number one is the hard cut to the ambulance when when uh, Isla Fisher, right before Isla Fisher dies. Uh, it, it's a the movie. I, I wish I would have like looked at what the time code was when that happens. But for a movie that kind of sets up just this free love, just you know, hanging out with Snoop Dogg. I'm at my daughter's wedding. It's all just very like light and fun and kind of you know we were saying kind of aimless. And then all of a sudden we are thrust into this very serious scenario where we're in a ambulance and they're both injured and both like in, in in a dire situation and i it just snapped me right out of what was going on in this movie and i thought it was really well i thought it was set up very well i i thought it was a great job directing to kind of lull me into this uh almost sense of security that i was just kind of kind of be in this freewheeling, no um, consequences type film. And then just rip me out of it was it shook me. And it, it, it definitely left an impression. So to me, that like, that was the moment in the movie where I really said, Whoa, okay. I was not expecting, uh, expecting this to go here based on kind of everything he had set up before that. So it hit me, it hit me good. Yeah, one of the few very serious moments in the film. My number one is the, the meeting of the minds that comes about when Snoop Dogg, Jimmy Buffett, and Moondog <laughs> are all writing an ode to Moondog together. They're on Snoop Dogg's yacht. They are surrounded by much younger, topless women who we are to believe want to hang out with these old assholes, which clearly they would not <laughs> do not. They're smoking big blunts. They're like hatching the third act like twist escape plan, which is not going to work and is really stupid and just involves like having a guy fly him back home is like the big <laughs> twist. And it's just like <laughs> such a like I can watch the scene and I can imagine the scene where these three people and Harmony Corinne got together and hatched up how this is going to go and thought it was going to be so awesome. And it just isn't. And it's so funny. And um, just a beautiful moment in like stoner dude guys being dudes history. Yeah. They lackadaisically even compose a moon dog song. That's not even that good. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Well, my number one's actually already been touched on. It's, it's Martin Lawrence as captain whack in this. Uh, I will admit the him going into the water, the shark infested waters, insisting they're dolphins is a little forced. But man, everything leading up to that is comic gold. It, it was it was a highlight of this film the first time I saw it, and it's a highlight the the most recent time I saw it. Him going on and on about the dolphins, like as if it's all new information to him. Like they're trying to communicate. That's the noises they're making. It's just so funny. Him going on without saying like. 
when he saw Flipper when he was young, <laughs> it really inspired him. So funny. And so funny. <laughs> he has, I, I couldn't write down lines fast enough when he was on, on screen. It's, it's great. When he goes off like a eight years of tours and only four deaths, it's a great record. <laughs> I was literally, I was going to say, if you don't bring up this line, I'm going to bring it up because it is, yeah, he's, I think it is four deaths over eight straight years of Dolphin tours is a great record. Yeah, and then the family comes on his on his rinky dinky torn up boat, and he's like, "Guys, we're in mating season, so if you see some dolphins humping, don't look away." Yeah, it's, <laughs> no, no, so I, funny. I believe he says it's orgy season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's such a it's one of the more energetic scenes in this film, and it's definitely the the scene that engages me the most of this whole film. I, I love it so much, and I think Martin Lawrence is uh gives a hell a hell of an improvisational performance in this in this movie yeah he definitely brings energy to the movie uh that is something that i i kind of had a problem with this movie and kind of his movies tend to meander a little bit which is fine that's kind of what he does but man he just energizes the whole movie in those two to three scenes all right guys well if there's a best scene that means there's a worst scene what are our bottom three worst scenes for the beach bum? Starting with number three. My number three worst scene is right after Isla Fisher dies. Uh, McConnett Moondog has a meeting with his lawyer and it is a Harmony Corinne. Mm-hmm. Doesn't his scripts are very simple and I kind of, and I like that. And I've liked that actually. I like that he doesn't overwrite. And this is one scene that I felt he really overwrote. It's so much exposition. It's so much like your wife never, um, you know, your your wife didn't trust you. She wanted you to finish your novel. Which that whole concept of like his. The, the whole thing around his novel is a problem for me anyway in this movie, but it, it, it's a scene that is, and this is something that I constantly bring up in worse scenes. So I feel a little bad about it, but just exposition dump of what their relationship was when I feel like he had already accomplished showing us what their relationship was in the scene I mentioned before of like that montage with the song. And now we have to hear all of her problems and all of her problems with him. And it just felt very forced and very like, well, now we have to propel the rest of this movie with showing why, what your problems are and how you need to fix those in order to uh, make your wife's death or, or make you seem worthy of your wife now after she has passed. And it's just, it's just bad writing for a guy who, is very uh seems particular with when he writes where where he puts actual writing into his movies it felt overridden yeah i agree i think there's a couple of scenes like that which i will get to a little later as well for my third worst scene i'm going to pick another lawyer scene or rather i guess it's an agent scene uh jonah hill plays um matthew mcconaughey's agent and lewis what, i believe his name is yeah. what i love about this movie is every other character feels like some fucking guy you would meet at a bar somewhere and i suspect a lot of the actors are non-actors who are playing roles or people they found around and and corinne's that kind of uh director like 
uh, in Spring Breakers is this youth pastor who's played by the pro wrestler Jeff Jarrett. And clearly Jeff Jarrett's not acted very much. And it's so authentic and gritty and real. And Hill is playing a very cartoonish, clearly overstudied. I mean, because that's, you know, Jonah Hill's thing. Like he fits well in like Sorkin-y kind of things or Scorsese kind of things because he overstudies, overplans, plans his teeth and his eyes. And he kind of like, it's great in sort of Oscar bait character acting big movies, but in little indies, like since super bad in that era, I find him uh, overwrought and a bit unwatchable. And this was just the most egregious example of that for me. It's foghorn leghorn. I, I mean, I literally wrote down foghorn leghorn when I was listening to him, Brandon, I think your uh, analysis of him is spot on. I, I don't even need to say anything else. I think you nailed it. Uh, my number three for me is actually, it, it's not something I think that totally takes away from the movie. Just something that I found, because I, I will say I have a surprising few things written down for worst scene, um, at least for me. I, I really thought I'd have more. But so this one doesn't really take away from the film, but I just found it to be a little extraneous in a film that kind of meanders its way through itself anyway. There's a number of times where it uses flashbacks that I think is wholly unnecessary. Uh, there's one where we're talking about, I think it's even when McConaughey and Isla Fisher are getting back together and you flash back to them kissing or something. You're like, we know, we just saw this. We don't need a flashback. And then they do it again at the end of the movie when Heather, uh, Moondog's daughter, who we spend a third of the movie at her wedding, says she dumped her husband. And then we flash back to show Frank, her dumped husband, from a scene we saw at the wedding a mere 45 minutes ago in the movie. And it's a quick little thing, but we didn't forget who her husband was. Like he's been in the movie and I just feel like the flashbacks are just really unnecessary and, and I guess don't wholly take me out of it because there's so much montage, you know, uh, uh, floating camera work around this film, but it just, it, you know, it's, it's precious minutes that could have sped, sped up this movie a little bit for me. What about number two? Uh, number two, so my second and first worst scenes are actually uh, a little more broad, but they both are summarized well in one quote from this movie, which is <laughs> McConaughey's daughter. I should have looked up the actress's name, but uh, the his daughter in the movie, uh, when McConaughey is asking her for money, he's at a certain point... Um, she says, he may be a jerk, but he's a great man. He's brilliant. And I'm going to pull that apart into two things. And I'm going to start with, he's a great man. For a movie that is, I think, earnestly trying to make us believe that this, while not a great man, is at least a good man, they do way too, he has way too many moments of being a terrible, terrible person. And maybe this is, what he's trying to do in this movie is kind of like make us play both sides of it, whether like, whether it's believable or not after seeing spring breakers, I, I feel a little more towards that, but for a guy who is happy to rob an old man of money, uh, at like Efron knocks him over the head with a bottle and they rob an old man who's kicking tuba players in the water. Like the guy's playing a tuba. He kicks him in the water. He gets his wife's inheritance. And while he like, I guess burns it, burns all the money kind of in 
protest or something. Like he buys a boat with all of her money that he names uh, Happy Ending, I believe. Does or he names it something? Doesn't even name it after his wife, who's now passed, and like doesn't really seem to be that broken up about his wife's death. I, I think he names the boat Success because that's what Captain Wack wanted to name his second boat. Oh yeah, yeah, that's is what it is. I just don't, and and I'll go a little deeper into this with my number one worst scene. But I I think for what they're trying to set this for for what they're trying to set this character up for in this movie they fail in making us actually believe it. And maybe we're not supposed to, but man, I, I, I hated this character. I, I thought he was a terrible person. And to try to like sit there and tell us he's this character who's like kind of supposed to be the straight person in this movie, his daughter, who was like kind of supposed to be the voice of reason, that infuriated me. Stefania Levy Owen, by the way, plays Heather. Thank you. His daughter. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, Brad, I, I have a lot of the same sort of feelings that I'll get into with my number one. So I do want to put a pin in that like longer conversation about goodness and who he is and what he wants. But uh, I have a simpler number two, which is there's a scene where Snoop Dogg shows Moondog like where the good weed is and the weed's like magic. And it's a very like next Friday, how high a half-baked kind of scene. And that's not in the game of the movie. There's no magic in the movie. There's no, like, smoke the magic weed and see a ghost kind of shit. Uh, it's just like, wow, we're rich and cool, so we have good weed. And it drove me nuts because it was shot like a scene you would see in How High where they have, like, a special light on the weed and it's going to be, like, the sword in the stone, like our magic thing. And it's never addressed again and never thought of again. And that, dr that shit drives me insane when uh, movies that are not stoner comedy in structure borrow stoner comedy tropes and don't follow through on them is a pet peeve of mine. They follow through a little bit because that's how he gets out of the country, right? Is that Snoop smuggles Moondog out with all the weed back to Jamaica or Cuba. Right. I guess they go to Cuba. The plant is from Jamaica. But he's established to be a high-powered drug dealer anyway because the bodyguards all have AKs and he's got all this money and shit. So, like, you buy that as being the deus ex machina without having, like, a thing where they have to go yeah. in the basement. And, you know, it's made even more difficult because it's supposed to be uncomfortable because Snoop Dogg is fucking Isla Fisher. But we know Moondog doesn't care, and Moondog is fucking many, many women. Rampant infidelity. Yes. <laughs> it's a question of stakes, and I'll get back to that in my number one. I have a proposal for like how I might fix this movie structurally, which uh, I'll save uh, for a little later. Ooh. All right, well, well, I won't delay it too much. M my number two is pretty easy as well. We, in fact, we already touched on it. I think, Brendan, you, you mentioned it. The twist of how to get McConaughey back into the country, just to dress him as a woman so no one will recognize him, and literally just put him, on a put him in a dress, and his hair is already long and blonde, and they give him like a floppy hat, and that is it. And it's like, oh, this is going to work. And I don't know how, if you know Moondog and you've seen Moondog before, this one little dress is not going to deter you from recognizing him. And I don't even know why we needed it. Like, he needed to sneak back. Like, he's he's now an accomplished poet. Let him just come back. We know rich artists get to do things like that anyway. Like, so why can't we just excuse it instead of... 
this half half brained plot line of dress like a woman and you can get back in the United States. Yeah, it's bad. All right. Well, here we are. Number one, the worst scene in Beach Bum. You guys have some pretty big theories to to get into. Who wants to go first? I can go first. Um, my so so he's brilliant, which is the second half of that quote I said before, and it's basically the final scene of Moondog winning an award for his poem, which is ridiculous. The poem's terrible. It makes no sense. Well, it's for the whole book. Yeah, for the whole book. Like we haven't. There's been nothing in this movie to make us believe that he's a good writer or brilliant. Like, give me something. Give me something for that. And so, to keep going back to Spring Breakers, I think what Spring Break and and why I like a lot of what I disliked about this movie is what he nails in that movie. The final scene in Spring Breakers, and I won't go into specifics just for spoiler purposes, but the ending of that movie is dreamlike. And the ending of this movie is dreamlike. But I felt like in Spring Breakers, they left it kind of this open-ended thing to make you wonder if what happened really happened or if it was more a metaphor or if it was more just kind of this like, the you know, Spring Break, the craziest week of your life. And it ended in the craziest way possible. And this movie does nothing to make you wonder if that ending, which feels totally unearned and totally improbable, is maybe just in his own mind or just somehow within, you know, his state of drunkenness, uh, fucked upness, whatever you want to call it. Like I was I wanted something there to make me question whether or not this is really happening because it feels so outlandish for a movie that is the best the best parts of this movie are the are the naturalistic elements of like hey you're just following a guy around who doesn't really care about anything and the best parts of this movie are when you're just watching him live his life and that's what Corinne does great he he just like drops you into these moments that are super realistic and just and allows you to live in them and that whole part of this movie feels so removed from that that it just drove me nuts yeah, Brad, I'll, I'll compound on that for my number one as well, because it's something you kind of touched on earlier in yours. I went for the the mini character. The Isla Fisher character is so underwritten and terribly written. Uh, in all her scenes, when she's explaining to Heather, her daughter, about how she's sleeping with Ray, to uh, everything, I mean, she has so many scenes where she has to explain things, uh, whether it's to Moondog or to us, the, the viewer. And it's just so bad. But you're so right. Kareen... Uh, really excels when he he acts like Terrence Malick, when he lets his camera float around and just absorb the environment and then actually underscores it with either some music or a really thought-out poetic uh, voiceover. That's where the, this movie really succeeds, and when he has to write out these exposition dumps, like you said earlier, or even just cardboard character lines to, to just for them to say, it, it really falls short. And I, I just found that to be, you know, a shame to see Isla Fisher, such a great talent, wasted in so many just stupid scenes where everyone else gets to have so much fun in this film. Yeah, and, you know, my number one kind of touches on both of your points. Um, I, I do agree with what Brad said in the best scenes that 
the drama of Isla Fisher dying was a high point, like in terms of emotions in the movie, but it, it, it was a challenge for me as a choice to make because the premise of a movie like this is Moondog is sort of the holy fool. He's living his life based on carnal desire and like what he wants to do. And is that so wrong is sort of what stories like this suggest. And there's a lot of stories like this. And I think, again, Big Lebowski and the novel Sotree do a really good job of this, but there's many other examples. But it's Moondog's fault Isla Fisher dies. So he does something truly bad and doesn't seem bothered about how to make it better. And there are no real stakes because we know that Isla Fisher loved him and this is a superficial obstacle that she's putting in front of him and he's going to be able to write because he's not particularly blocked for very long. I know he makes a little show of it, but we know he's going to be fine. I think a more interesting film and what this genre dictates is if he ruined the wedding, that was the last straw for Isla Fisher. She tearfully says after they dance, look, I love you, but I can't be with you because you've hurt me and the family too much. Uh, I, and I'm going to go be with Snoop Dogg, who is a provider. And then in that framework, Moondog would try to win her back. He would fail at winning her back, but in doing so, recognize that like the life he leads has consequences, but it's still his most enjoyable life is like what the theme of this wants to be. And, you know, again, to reference other versions of this, like that's what makes them interesting is when the Holy fool is like acted upon by the police or the fascist or the military or evil people or hurtful people. And they just want to continue living their like righteous lifestyle. And again, like, Look at Big Lebowski when he gets arrested and the cops are giving him so much shit. And when are you going to grow up, you gold breaking motherfucker, like all that stuff. And he continues to be the dude. That's what's rewarding for us. And I think that just structurally, that's like the big fatal flaw of this film. And then it makes us ask, like, why do I fucking want to follow this asshole around for the next hour and 20 minutes? I, I think he hit the nail right in the head. He just doesn't, he's not likable enough and they haven't earned all the love you're supposed to feel for him at the end of the movie. All right, guys. Well, that's uh, that's scene work. It sounds like we made a pretty good movie. We built a good movie here. Congratulations. All right. Well, that means it's time for our final podcast game. That's right. It's time for Milking It, our second favorite game of the podcast, where we're going to roll out the big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000 here in a second, and it's going to provide us with a few things to create a brand new movie for the studio system to put back out there and make a million more dollars. Uh, it's going to give us a genre, an actor or a director that we will have to remake any parts of the beach bum, the title, the music, the characters, any of the minimal paper thin plot points we want to use to uh, conform to the genre given or a director or an actor card who will then either have to direct or star in the vehicle as well as a pitch time. You have three to choose from. You'll either get the elevator pitch, which gives you 30 seconds to get out your idea to the executives, a water cooler pitch giving you one American minute to get your idea out or the coveted boardroom pitch, 90 seconds to get your idea in front of those executives and sell your film. So, that being said, let's roll out the old big computer 
and see what it has for us today. What do we have here? Oh, it looks like I'll be going first today. I have the elevator pitch. 30 seconds to do, okay, to do the beach bum as a fantasy. No problem there. I'm not far off. Well, <laughs> yeah. well I think we got to add some fantastic elements like elves and dwarves and goblins and the like. Any element, any fantastic element you can add would be great. Brendan, the computer has you going next. The water cooler pitch. You'll have one minute to do the beach bum as a spike lead joint. You up for that? I'm ready. All right. Excellent. And Brad, that leaves you with the boardroom pitch. A minute and a half. Oh, you're going to love this for this film. As a trilogy. The beach bum trilogy. Oh, wow. Trilogy is back. Yeah. Happy McConuary. You got the trilogy card, Brad. Oh, boy. We're going to take a few minutes to gather ideas and we'll be right back with three brand new movies after this. And we're back. All right. Three brand new offshoots, three heats, reboots, reimaginings of Moondog, Moondog, Beach Bum coming at you right now. I'm going first. I have the elevator pitch giving me 30 seconds to get the Beach Bum out as a fantasy. All right. Here we go. Got my best suit on, got my briefcase at my side, the elevator doors are closing, the executives are in there, and here we go. A mysterious ancient book of spells is found, too dangerous to keep, too powerful to wield. After careful consideration, it is decided the book must be destroyed in the volcanoes from whence it was published to save the faraway land of Key West. The humble Moondog is decided to be the carrier of the book and is joined with his band of, of uh, ragtag uh, companions, Captain Whack, a pegleg sea captain, Lingerie, a heavily armed warrior, Lewis, a greedy cleric, Flicker, a young wizard, and Jimmy Buffett, a renowned bard. Together, they must brave the islands and make it to the mountain before evil winds in The Bum of the Beach, The Brotherhood of the Moondog. Good title. Thank Good you. Title. <laughs> My complete ripoff of Lord of the Rings title. Uh, you, 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 but you, you made it work. You made it work. Thank you. Renowned bard. Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> that was almost the basis for the entire idea. What? No way. I Very good. Line. All right, Brendan. One minute. The water cooler pitch to do Beach Bum as a Spike Lee film. Grab your Dixie cup, fill it up with water, because here comes the executive. Away you go. Martin Lawrence is a Vietnam veteran in the film Beach Bum that we know. And so Spike Lee's take on this film is going to harken back to his most recent joint, defy bloods and explore similar terrain. In this version of the beach bum, Martin Lawrence's sea captain is not only tormented by the complicity in war crimes and PTSD in Vietnam, but he also must reckon with returning to a coastal Florida town entrenched in backwards racial attitudes. Though the captain finds peace working with his beloved dolphins, the racial tensions and retrograde politics <laughs> prove too much for him to handle. Ultimately, he sacrifices his job to stand up for an Asian-American crabbing family facing the same discrimination from returning veterans working on the docks. Our hero sacrifices his dolphin tour business, but ultimately leaves him a happier, healthier person at peace with his deeds at home and abroad. This is still called The Beach Bum, but 
it's way more metaphysical feeling than the one we want. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it's the beach bum colon. And then that last, what did he say? A much more medical physical film than the one we watched. (laughs) I just hope it's the beach bum, a much more metaphysical film. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) All right, Brad. The acclaimed trilogy card. Now you have the boardroom pitch. 90 seconds to get this out. Are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. All right. Well, the secretary is letting you into the boardroom. So here you go. Okay. So trilogy. We're starting with the beach bum. You know it. You don't like it. But that's the first movie. (laughs) We're following McConaughey. We're following Moondog. The second movie, we're following Minnie, his wife. And it follows a day in the life as she finds out her daughter is getting married and has to put together a wedding at the last second. She's seeing Ray and is living with him. And we're seeing her dealing with the challenges of being in love with two men, trying to give her daughter the perfect day, juggling this relationship and her daughter's opinion of her father and just what a mess their life has kind of become. But while at the same time trying to get live this upbeat and be positive on the day of her daughter's wedding. And we end on the same montage where we see Moondog and her. And But what we didn't see in Beach Bum is that she actually breaks up with Moondog and tells him that she has to move on and can't be with him anymore. So And then it ends the same way with her dying in the movie, Mini Victories. And then the third film is Following Your Daughter. We start with her being proposed to by her boyfriend and him saying he knows better than to ask uh, the father for his blessing. Instead, he asked her mother, which shows he knows her well enough to uh, be worthy of marrying her. We follow her at her wedding while dealing with her dad's bull leading up to the wedding. And then at the wedding, dealing with her dad's bullshit, we see her dance and see a lovely moment between her and her mother before she passes away. Because of that, she never forgives her father and has to deal with him asking for money and deal with trying to make her marriage work and her terrible father in heather the storm oh man so it's it's the beach bum mini victories and heather the storm is your trilogy correct great job buddy really vibes yeah really enjoyed that thank you guys i think we just sold five more movies because the beach bum's already out brad (laughs) that's all right yeah or four yeah yeah four Four more movies. Four yeah, movies. Yeah, four yeah, movies. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Five movies would have been if Beach Bum wasn't out. Right. So congratulations. We made the studio system a little more rich. Who could ask for anything more in times like these? Thank goodness they have more money. They need it. Well, guys, only one last thing to do on the show, and that's Brad Davis. You just watched The Beach Bum. What are you going to do next? Well, given, given that it's McConuary, I would like to go back to uh, things that exist within the reconnaissance. I've never seen mud. Oh. And that's one I feel like I should check off my list. So I'm, I would like to watch mud at some point to actually see what is considered a good McConaughey movie. It is. I remember really liking it. It's, it's a nice, uh, almost a fraternal twi- twin film to uh, Kings of Summer. Ah, uh, yes. It makes sense. He, he talks about it in, green lights so he, he does got indeed me, yeah. got me up. brendan gallagher you just watched the beach bum what are you gonna do next well this answer has nothing to do with harmony curran or matthew mcconaughey i feel like i'm very well versed in matthew mcconaughey's uh work at this point so i don't think i'm missing anything 
And uh, Corinne, though, I've never seen Gummo. I think I'm good. I think Spring Breakers gave me, like, what he's doing, and I get it. So I've been watching a ton of Preston Sturgis and Billy Wilder lately, and I'm just going to keep doing that, which has nothing to do with this. But uh, I've just been so – as you guys know, I watched Sunset Boulevard last night. Um, I got a Clara Box set of Preston Sturgis for Christmas, and we're just, like, banging through – God damn, the writing is so sharp. And I think, I guess what made me think of these things is like, while I love the visuals of Harmony Corinne, like we can kind of acknowledge the writing just isn't that tight. And when you watch older movies that were greats, especially like in the 40s when there just wasn't that much you could do with the camera, it's all the writing. You know, we watched The Apartment recently, we watched Sullivan's Travels, and uh, I'm just going to keep on that train in the other direction from uh, Harmony Corinne. I meant to say I love that. I meant to say to you, actually, I, I saw that you would watch The Apartment and you called it one of the best rom coms of all time, and I couldn't agree more. I think that movie is perfect. A perfect rom com. I should be in movie jail for not having seen Sullivan's Travels yet. It's been on my to watch list for almost as long as I've had a to watch list. So I, you you've just inspired me to add that to my list. Chris Maxwell, you just watched the beach bum. What are you gonna do next? Okay, well, I feel like it's already been touched on. I, I am going to watch Gummo, uh, Harmony Kareen's uh, directorial debut. Uh, I really want to see it. It's I, I imagine it's going to be raw and not nearly as much fun as Spring Breakers or this. But I, I'm a completist. What can I say? I'm going to watch it. And yeah, I guess also I'm going to watch uh, Sullivan's Travels now too. I'm going to put that. I'm going to prioritize that. Hopefully, I knock that out in the next week. And of course, I'm going to continue celebrating McConuary. So next week, we're going to be doing. The Stephen King adaptation of The Dark Tower, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I love those books. I am uh, interested in seeing the movie again. The movie's so uh, much better. My, oh, Brad, <laughs> more on that next week. And I'll also say, listeners, if you haven't yet, go check out Death at Sunset, Brad and I's uh, Sunshine Noir radio play podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. It's great. Uh, if I don't mind saying so myself. I agree with you, Chris, with, 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 with nothing else behind it other than just I think it's great. I'm at Cross Maxwell across your social media accounts. Brad Davis, BD, always GP on Twitter and Instagram. Brendan Gallagher? Uh, you can find me at Brendan Gallagher on Twitter. Uh, my wife and I, Claire Downs is my wife, we do a newsletter called Going Downs about celebrity and politics and the internet. And uh, I'm a writer on the show Warrior Nun uh, on Netflix, so check that out. And uh, we should be filming season two as soon as that's ethically possible uh, this spring, which I'm really excited about. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Brendan, thank you so much for being on the show once again. Thank you for being around for another McConuary. It is a, a, a great, great pleasure and honor. Happy McConuary, everyone. Uh, you know, I, I hope that we can continue to keep this going. Uh, for many McConuaries to come, gentlemen. Mm. Well, on that, we are off for another week. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Listeners, we love you. Happy McConuary. Goodbye. How about the story of Lucky the Bird? Oh, never cried for so many different reasons in my life. When Matthew's father put that entire toilet water-soaked dead bird into his mouth... I was dumbstruck by the fragility of life. But then he literally breathes life back into its tiny little lungs and resuscitates it. Green light.
High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com.